Welcome back, everybody. This is John Cranham. Go to Dennis Podcast. We appreciate you keep coming in as we push record and, and, and capture some great information. We're really excited about who we have on here today, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, we do know that Pio is not going to be making us uh, with us today. He's on his way to camp with his one of his kids, one of his three kids. But we do have David. David, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, John. Good to hear from you again. You are St. Pete still? I am St. Pete bound. It's, we got blue skies. The sun's always out here, so I'm, I'm a happy guy. All right. Well, I am sitting in Huddleston, Virginia at the lake. And, uh, and again, we, it's going to be dicey. There's this big ball off the coast of Florida right now that is heading our way. So, so I don't know what the weather's going to be like the next uh, week. It should miss you, though, right? I mean, you'll probably get rain, but it sh- should just kind of come up the coast. Is that right? It, it's looking like it's going to just touch the east coast if it, if it grabs it at all. So we'll, all right. we'll need a little, little wind, little rain, but... Florida goes, that's not a bad, bad day. All right, well, let's get to it today. So today we have with us Kevin Groth. Uh, I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit from a distance. Uh, He did the Dawson curriculum over the last year. We're going to hear a little bit more about uh, the things he's been doing, been practicing for about seven years, graduated from the University of Michigan, go blue, and has his own space in the Uh, sort of podcast live stream market that we'll talk about in a little bit. I was had the pleasure of being his guest uh, a couple of weeks ago and we had a nice chat, but you know, one of the things that we want to continue to do is, is shine light on people that are being successful in what they're doing, but also who are authentic enough to talk about the fact that it's not all, um, it's just not an easy, always an easy road. And so we, we like to hear um, kind of the realness of what dentistry is to people. It's still, I think, the greatest profession, but it does take some work and some effort and some planning and some discipline. And so, so we are excited to have you. Kevin, welcome. Good to be here. You know, I'm a big fan of this podcast. It's a great drive to and from work, and I've really enjoyed some of the interviews that you had during COVID, but also with Zach and with Drew Cobb and, and Paresh. So those were fun ones that I really enjoyed and, and took a lot away from them. So I hope I can continue that trend here. Yeah. And you're going to add to it for some of our listeners as well, which is great. Sure. So we like to start with a pretty open-ended question and, uh, and give you a chance to a little, little bit to talk about yourself, but, but who are you, man? Who is Kevin Groth? Why don't you talk us, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, Kevin Groth. So I get that. I'm sorry, Groth. I'm sorry. All good. Um, I wish I was Groth because it'd make my life a lot easier, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's all good. Um, Yeah, I'm born and raised in Michigan, have not left this great state, unlike you, John, but um, you were smarter than I was because the weather here is pretty brutal in the (laughs) wintertime. So something that I'm just, I, I like this place a lot. You know, that's where I grew up. You know, like you said, I went to University of Michigan for school. Met my wife there. Um, she's a dental hygienist, so we we've been married for five years now. She's been just such a rock towards this whole growth period of my time in the last seven years, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without her and her influence. So it's just something that I hope everyone has a partner that can kind of embrace and kind of allow you to grow as we push each other here. And we have a two-year-old daughter, which is such a brightness in our life right now. 
I've learned more about life in general through her experiences in the last two years. And it's been such a remarkable time, especially with COVID. Um, the silver lining is that I got to spend almost 12 weeks every single day with her, which was such a, a beautiful thing. And, and just enjoying the simplicity of life, which I really appreciate and, and acknowledge that that's really what it comes to is the, the little things of life that really make or break, you know, and I'm just on cloud nine right now um, in such a hard chaotic time. So it's, it's hard to say that, but it, it, it's really what it is. So I have a general practice um, about 40 minutes outside of Detroit and just love dentistry. You know, it's something that it's, it's such a great profession because first and foremost, it gives me the time with my family. It gives me the time to have a balance of life. And there's a lot of professions that don't allow that. I also love the fact that I get to work with an amazing team. They build me up every day and we get to work on amazing patients. And it's something that most of these patients have known me my entire life, which is kind of a, a blessing because my dad was their dentist and they got to, you know, kind of get that torch passed over, which was a neat thing, which I hope we can talk about, you know, as we keep going on here. But um, I do love changing lives. I love impacting people. I love having an influence on others. And I think that's an important thing to recognize because that was kind of the motivation behind the new dentist show, which I was so thankful for you to jump on, John. That was such a fun time for that hour and to talk with you and talk with Caitlin. And it was just a memory that I'm going to definitely take away um, for the long term because I just really enjoyed that discussion. And I thought I took a lot away from it. And I know the viewers did too. And I get these emails every week, every day from people just reaching out and saying, thank you for the guidance or can I pick your brain? And, and a lot of times it's just, hey, give me a call on the way home from work. I'd love to hear about what your story is and how I can help. You know, that's what I'm here for. And that's, I think, what the beautiful thing about life is, is that we've all gotten through on the shoulders of other people. And that's what I'm here for. And I'm here to kind of influence and push. So I guess that's kind of a brief summary of myself. Awesome. I like it. I like it. So let me ask you this, Kevin. So you mentioned a couple of really cool things. One, balance and, you know, personal, professional, family. And, you know, you come from, like you said, your dad being a dentist. So for you, how, what's that evolution like as you come in to practice, you know, kind of on the heels of, of dad, um, what's your practice life like? And, and how did you get from, you know, day one to year seven to the evolution of who you are today? Yeah, that's a great question, David. And I'm glad you, you picked that out because I think it's, it's one of those things that it's not perfect and it hasn't been perfect the last seven years, but I grew up as the son of a dentist and truly he was at every sporting event, every concert, every activity of mine. And I realized that that, um, I don't think I appreciated that as much until I became a parent and know the, the, the genuine efforts you have to put in in order to become a parent. He was at everything. A and that just, and a, you're a parent and a dentist. So you really understand how hard it is to get to all those. Yeah. Things. yeah so, right. But dentistry does allow you to have that balance. Yeah, it, it allows does. you to have that time that you, you have the choice as a dental, as a, a practitioner that you can make these decisions of how you want to practice, which is a beautiful thing because a lot of people in hospitals, they can't call their shots. You know, a lot of people from professions can't do that either. So dentistry is the best profession out there for that reason. Now, the other side of things is that I did see the realness of dentistry too from my dad, because every single dentist struggles at some point in time with a patient or with a, a staff member or whatever it may be, and you, you do bring it home. So I, I saw a lot of that from my dad and the struggles that he went through during parts of his career. And it, it shaped me, you know, so at least I I expected that stuff as I went through dentistry. So the day after I graduated, we moved into my uncle's practice, who was also a dentist. So we split time. 
And in that time, I worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at my dad's office. He still ran the other first part of the week, my uncle did. But it did give me, one, the ability to kind of shape how I was going to be implementing myself into this practice. So it was three days a week. My dad never, ever made a big deal about finances. He was always just say, treat people well, do your best work, establish relationships first and foremost, and everything will follow through. And that's what I did. And I still continue to do this day, but it really established a nice base for my patient pool and how I can shape the team that I've evolved it into. But then on top of that, I got three Monday, Tuesday, Saturdays, I worked at other offices. And in that time I was everywhere. You know, I attempted at an office in Sears for a couple of weeks. Um, that was horrible. Um, I worked at a, a PPO office that was just high production driven, really quite compromised care, which I didn't really appreciate, but I learned what I didn't want to do, you know, and then I also worked and had an opportunity to work at a startup in downtown Detroit at this really high end practice that is with the, my mentor, who's still a great friend of mine to this day. Um, most amazing dentist, you know, I was able to work with and I learned so much from him. And in that time, it was something where I got offered partnership and I, I turned it down. And it was something that was important life lessons for many different ways, because it just wasn't part of the life that I was hoping to live. And it really is that balance of life that I didn't quite have. And I really, it's like breaking up with a pretty good girlfriend, you know? So I know this is something that it could work out, but it, it just isn't quite what I'm looking for. So when I walked away from that, I had a really hard time. You know, I had a really, really hard time. And a lot of, I mean, quite honestly, my wife goes, where's your mojo, dude? Like, you're just not the same person I've, I've, I've married. And, and it became something where I really had to find myself and identify the things that really I valued in life. And that's when I came across Kirk Barron at the AGD meeting when I got my fellowship. And Kirk, I don't know, a higher power brought me to him in some way, shape or form. And he said, truly the happiest people I know are the ones that have the simplest lives. And when he said that, it just kind of struck me at my core. And I think the funny thing with life is that things happen in life. And if I had heard that a year or two prior, I wouldn't have picked that up, you know, but since I went through such a tumultuous time and I couldn't necessarily um, know what balance of life was, when he said that, I was just like, I'm in. Whatever this guy is preaching, whatever he's talking about, sign me up. I'm ready to do whatever he does. And, and so I signed up with Act Dental. And in that time, now I have the practice of my dreams of what I identified through my vision. And I have, there's 12 of us at the office. We all love each other. And we, we really first and foremost are a true team. Um, we work seven to two, nine to three days. So I get home and every, I can, I can talk my daughter in every single night and play with her for four hours before she goes to bed. I work 165 days a year. And that's the life I really want to live. And it's something that I, that's my destiny. That's what I choose to do. And, and, that's kind of my long winded story here, but I think it's important to identify that it wasn't an easy time most of that time, but I well, learned through the ups and downs. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of expand on that a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I think is intriguing is that I've heard over and over is, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so when you were, when you were kind of in the dark days, um, what was it? What was it? What was it that made it dark? It was, was it because you had left that opportunity and now maybe some of the procedures you were seeing, you weren't sure you were able, going to be able to do it in your new place. Was that a lot of it? Cause I think sometimes yeah. I sometimes that's sometimes worse. I mean, I, I think sometimes it's worse to be aware of what's possible 
and then be in a situation where you don't think you can do it. That's almost one of the, and I, and I was there at one point in my career too. So I'm wondering if that's what. That's exactly it, John. I mean, it's truly, this was such a fancy office and it was beautiful and we had such great caliber patients and we were doing such amazing work. And then I came back to my practice and the team didn't have the same thing. It didn't have the same spark. It didn't have the same gel cohesiveness and we weren't doing the same dentistry. And I felt, I felt like so bad for myself, you know, and it was such a pity party and it was something that I didn't feel like I had control of my destiny in that time. And, and really here's the lesson I did learn is that I had based my success entirely on the success of that opportunity. So who I was, what I was doing, everything about me came to a drastic halt when I turned it down. And I just felt like such a failure and such a loser and so down on myself that I, I couldn't get out of it for a long time. You know, then yeah, I started you, teaching at Michigan for a little bit and I was like, okay, this is great, but I just don't like the drive. So now I'm lost now because I know that teaching yeah. didn't really work out, even though that's what my, I love to do. It's interesting. You, you were aware that you wanted to have your own vision, but you hadn't established the vision before you left. So when you left, it was, it was just like a black, you fell into a black hole for a little bit. Well, it's great that Kurt helped you get out of that because we all need, you know, it, it's interesting in all these stories of people that we're talking to, it, there's, there's usually a pivotal moment. You know, for me, it was Pete Dawson and, you know, Paresh, we heard a couple people that kind of got him going and Zach had something similar and David's had his people and, you know, you, you need to stand on the shoulders of other people and, 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 and recognize it. Uh, so uh, was there anything else uh, in terms of getting you interested in dentistry? Did you ever think about anything else or was it, did your dad always make it look good? Was there, uh, what was it that, that got you into it other than your pop? I mean, my dad always said, I think you'd be a great dentist. So if somebody that you're admiring tells you, I think you're going to be something, you're going to be good at something. I think you just go forward with that. So I never really considered anything else besides maybe teaching. And I was a swim coach for 11 years. I mm. loved coaching swimming in the summertime. I loved influencing kids and shaping them from when they were five up to the 18. And they still call me and text me and say, Hey, I, you were, you know, such a, a, a influence on my life and I can't thank you enough. And that's such a cool moment when you can have that position where you can change people's lives through a sport like swimming, like who, who really, that doesn't really matter, but it was the, the change in who they were really did make a difference there. So, um, I was working throughout dental school, you know, on the side here coaching and, and, but at the same point I, I questioned, is this my path? Maybe I should be a teacher. Um, and then I realized there is a place you can teach in dentistry, you know, and then why don't you just learn just, dentistry and just by chance. Influence other people there. So combine both together, which is kind of really my passion when I can do mm -hmm. that. I love that. So you said a lot of things as far as like, you know, your path and how you got where you are. And, and I don't know, you had the aha moment with Kirk and with act and that's pretty cool. But we also talked about, you know, maybe a year earlier, you wouldn't have really been ready to hear that message is, do you have, do you have like moments like that act moment in addition to that moment that you felt like really drove you to get where you are today? It may be clinical ones too, you know, I mean, are there, mm -hmm. were there, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, most of my practice was kind of just bread and butter, you know, fillings and crowns and such, you know, but going through with my mentor, he did a lot of restorative work and something that I, I felt 
I could see the change in people's lives. And that's really what my practice is driven on now. I still, most of my practice is still doing fillings and crowns and whatnot. But um, even this week, you know, I, I've really been very intentional about slowing down my practice and slowing things down, having genuine conversations and asking why, you know, John, you talked about that in our, our discussion of asking why all the time. And this week I had four people came in and said, I don't have headaches anymore. I don't have muscle pain. I don't have that clicking and popping. I don't have the discomfort that I was having prior. And it was like literally every day this week. And that's what dentistry can really bring is, is, a, is a huge change in terms of their influence that you can have on people's lives and make it far better than, yeah, you did a really nice MOD on 19. You know, <laughs> no one says that, but if you can and take the stain, headaches, And the stain you put yeah. in the central groove is amazing. Yeah, I mean, no <laughs> one's going to learn that. <laughs> but you can really have an impact on that. So that's really what I'm driving my practice towards. And I, I'm so grateful for the, the academy, you know, and, and what I did through that is it, it taught me so much of the diagnostic understandings of things and saying, okay, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And I mean, before I even am able to, to look in their mouth or see what's going on, I kind of have 90% of the idea of what's happening. And that's really because of the, the teachings that Lenny taught me um, and other people at the Academy and, and really it shaped everything about my career. And, and it's such a cool thing because I'm only 33. So I have all this time going forward, hopefully that I can kind of keep building and growing and, and pushing forward with that. And that's kind of a great thing. Yeah. Talk a little bit of it. Well, before we go on to the next question, uh, you did the, um, the, basically the mini residency in Denver with, with yeah. Lenny Hess. And so I'm just interested in, you've come from a pretty solid background, but did the checklist protocol, did, what specifically did it do for you? Did it make your vision clear about where you're going with more complicated things or what, what did it help yeah. you with? So I had, I had a lot of exposure to occlusion right out of school with my mentor and we had brought in, we had a little study club around us and it was something we, we did, um, two sessions a year where we did um, four weekends of restorative work. We had a lecture on Friday and then we prepped on Saturday. And wow. like three weeks later, we did a lecture on Friday, seated on Saturday. And we did that twice a year. So we did all these cases and I had literally somebody holding my hand through these. Props. Wow. That's amazing. You can have that moment. You can really learn and pick the brains of people and how they do things. And we had lecturers come in who were exposed to Spear, Dawson, Panky, Coyce, whoever was out there. They taught us a lot of things. The problem with that is that after about four years of that, I had all these mixed ideas of how to do cases and whatnot. I was very confused of just a protocol. Like give me, some type of way that I can go start to finish of how to do cases. And that's when I ran into Lenny at the, the Napa course. And I loved out, going out there. It was so much fun. Not a great place to bring a pregnant wife, if I had to be honest <laughs> with you. But um, I made up for that later on with bringing her back. But Lenny pulled me aside at one point and says, hey, I see myself in you. You know, come join the Dawson Academy and, and I want to take you under my wing. And when somebody of his caliber tells you, I see myself in you, you just jump in and do whatever he tells you to do. Because I think the world of Lenny, I think how he impacted me and personal and professionally is just so remarkable. And then the Dawson cohort, I mean, there's so much to the cohort that it was so special. We had so many, like so much closeness with our 20, 25 people there. And to take it from the beginning when we were learning about photography and the the diagnostic component of the examination and all these different things to the point where we were all talking about complex treatment plans and all these different components. And um, I, it was something really special. And I think that's the beauty of the cohort is that you can really rally around each other and build each other up. And we still talk to each other all the time. And it's really kind of a cool community that we've established within the Academy. 
that I'm really yeah, proud it's, of. It's great. You know, and I, I say that, uh, to everybody and people will ask me, you know, Dawson, Panky, Koi, Spear, you know, which direction should I go? And of course I'm a little partisan in this, in this answer, but, but what I'll say is I, I honestly tell them, I said, I think the most important thing, and you hit the nail on the head is find the place that you feel comfortable and then just stick with one place until you master one way. Because uh, I do remember I was a CE junkie and bouncing around and, and often you'll have people saying the very same thing, but slightly differently and maybe have a little different way of going about it. And, the, and if you don't follow the, somebody's order all the way through, you can end up in a different spot. And so I, I, think, I think that's really a, a key point is that, so it solidified for you what you knew, but gave you, a, gave you a protocol to follow. That's exactly it. You know, it gave me a foundation. And now, you know, being exposed with ACT and the, the online conferences, you know, I have Bill Robbins doing the global diagnosis stuff. I'm picking things from him and I'm yeah. putting it in practice which is a beautiful thing to be able to now take a solid foundation and just kind of yeah make it your make it make it your own absolutely that's that's what it's all about all right so kicking uh, or kind of tying in with what uh david said talking a little bit about inside of dentistry i can tell just from talking to you that you read a lot of stuff outside of dentistry and maybe listen to some people outside of dentistry. What are some of those, so who are some of the influences outside of dentistry that maybe have helped you in your practice as a leader, as a you know, communicator, all that stuff? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. I have a slight obsession with people, you know, and learning their story, um, especially successful people. You know, if I can, if I can really learn how they, how they got to the position they're in inside, outside of dentistry, whatever it may be, if I can pick one thing from that person and utilize it in my life or my practice, it's really a thing of beauty. So I, I just, I don't podcasting. Kirk has a podcast that I've listened to for three years and I listen to your lectures on there and like things that I just start picking up little things and um, Netflix. I watched chef's table a lot and these are amazing chefs and why did they get where they were? One person talked about how she never wanted the meal to be the same for each person. So they always took notes who they were, what their story was. Um, we then put that into our practice. We take miscellaneous notes on our patients. So we know that they're, we, we care about them. We remember those conversations and we value them. So they don't have the same experience of talking about the weather every day. Right. So, um, the funny thing is when you do expose yourself to a lot of books, when you expose yourself to a lot of people's podcasts and listening to their stories, everyone has a different story, but the message is very similar. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's all like, okay, you almost not to disregard it, but you kind of get bored over it a little bit. I, I, I kind of like burnt out from those, those books and stories for a little bit because it, we talk about the troubles and how they found a mentor and someone guided them and they failed, but appreciate the failures and learning from those moments as opposed to just disregarding them and pushing off to the side as uncomfortable as they can be and how it just kind of elevated them to a different level in, in their life and their profession and what they valued. So every single thing of that shaped me, but even my personal life, the guy I coach swimming with Bill, he's a mentor of mine that will always shape who I was. Cause he was always about finding the potential of every single person. And no matter if you're the worst swimmer on the team or the best, I'm going to treat you the same way because you are a person that I can think you can be better every single time. Surrounding yourself with a good team is important too. The guy who, like we said, Delta Sigo Delta, my mentor through him, he changed my life because when I was deciding about sticking with that Detroit office, I went to him 
And I said, Hey, what do you think I should do? And he says, there's a reason why you're meeting with me. You know, you want me to tell you no, <laughs> and I can tell you no, but I think you already told yourself this. And it's because that man is a family man. He is driven based on everything with his wife and kids. And I didn't have that balance in my life at that point in time. I think that was important. So, I mean, I find things in everything, you know, I love people. I love learning from them and I love hearing their stories, which is why I have the show because I like picking people's brains and seeing what I can pull from them. So it's funny. It's the same, it's the same, same reason I like doing the podcast and it also allows me to keep the news off, which you got to keep the news off the diet plan. It never really works for anyone. Well, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, Kevin, you have um, clearly developed over time, a, a strong vision for yourself professionally, personally. How often do you spend time on that with your team at the practice? How do you get them engaged and, and what's the frequency with which you do that? Sure. Um, the vision was the first thing that, Hurricane Accidental pushed on us to to do. And um, like I said, when I was in that Detroit office, I was living a vision that was not my own. So that was a really important lesson that I had to figure out my own lesson and my own vision behind that. So, but I really had a hard time. John, you talked about how you had a vision when you first went to the Dawson Academy said, I want to take over for Pete. I didn't have that definitive idea of what I wanted, right? So I kind of almost felt like I was at a restaurant with a big menu. And you're like, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. And I really believe that, um, not egotistically saying this, but I, I, I can do anything. I think that. And, but I can't do everything. And I know that because once you say yes to something, you do also say no to something else, right? So at that point in time, my wife says, dude, you're getting way overwhelmed with this whole vision thing. Let's just flip this around and say, what don't you want? And when you can say, I don't want this, I don't want that, I don't want this, you eventually formulate an idea behind what you do want. And that's kind of where I came from. So I know people talk about Simon Sinek and start with why. It's a cool, I like the idea, but it didn't work for me. You know, to me, it was almost just come up with what you don't want. And eventually I figured out that I wanted a balance of my life first and foremost. And then Axe says that. They said, figure out what you want in your life and then fit your practice into that. You know, if you're a high motor guy and you just want to work, 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 and that's what you find fulfilling, then do it because there's nothing wrong with that. But that's how you are. That's what you're, you're, you're made that way. But that wasn't me. So to me, it was, I want to have balance with my family, balance with my friends, do the things that bring me joy and have the practice fit in with that. And then, so I came to my team with this vision and I said, this is what I want. I'm excited about this act thing. And, and I'm really excited about the vision here. And I had couple new employees that I had hired because of other people that had left through retirement or kind of went different positions because it didn't work out because I, I did inherit my dad's employees. Not that they were bad people, but half the people that I had hired or the people I had hired who really resembled what I wanted were all in and they loved this vision. And then I had a lot of resistance towards the other people and a lot of questioning. And that was a really tough time because now I'm at this fork in the road because you have resistance and this is what I want, but I'm having people fight me for it. And in that time, you know, some people had to go. And eventually I had basically replaced my entire dad, my dad's staff with my team that I have today. And that was a hard thing to, to let someone go that you've known your whole life. Um, but it wasn't part of the plan and it wasn't what I was envisioning. And, and now I have an amazing team. And I'm not saying it's perfect because things still happen in life and things still happen in practice. So I'm always tweaking, but I have a foundation of people that really embody who we are. We're a relationship-based practice. We love each other and the team. We love our patients. And 
and we're putting up quality care. And, and if you're doing it yourself, it's a lot harder, which I was doing when I first started. Now I have 11 people that support my vision that are also implementing things. So when I get a Google review on my practice, half the time they're not even mentioning my name anymore. You know, it's my team, it's my associate, it's these other people that really support what our vision is for our practice, which just makes me so much happier. Um, I love when people don't bring up my name that says I'm doing something right as a manager of this organization. Mm-hmm. Kevin, I got to jump in and tell you that says you're doing a ton of stuff right because I think where a lot of people in dentistry go wrong is when somebody starts mentioning somebody else's name, they're like, whoa, 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 what about me? Yeah. That's a really important point for all of you who are listening in to recognize as a leader, um, leading from the shadows sometimes and shining the light on everybody else, it's, it's so rewarding. That's it. Mark yeah. Hyman talks about um, okay. UNC um, with the basketball coach and pointing at your assist man. Yeah. I think it's a cool message because, <clears throat> yeah, you shot the basket, you scored, but it wouldn't have happened if someone didn't pass you the ball. And I think that's a really neat thing. Yeah. yeah I think, too, you know, culturally, I mean, it's interesting right now, you know, a lot of the things you're talking about. I mean, my daughter coming in, we're, we did a, a whole three hour exercise just. Uh, just going back even to core values, like just making sure our core values are the same. And, and we tweaked a few things and we're going to rewrite the mission statement. We're going to go back. And, and again, I've got to be fully prepared for some of the things that you're talking about. And, and one of the, the things that's so important, we heard about it with Paresh last time and Sizzler with before that is, you know, that, that clarity of choice that when you get clear on your vision, sometimes the people figure out that it's not best for them too. So, so when, when you, I imagine when some of the people left, some of the people left on their own accord and you probably hugged them and said goodbye. And, and again, it doesn't have to be a personal thing. It's just a different direction that, that that people are choosing to go. And that is okay. And, and the other thing I want to say is that what's intriguing in our office right now is I'm trying to teach this concept to my, one of my assistants and one of my employees that have been with me the longest to also be okay with really, really inspiring the same type of thing with the other assistants in the practice and the other front desk people so that they don't have to get all, you know, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to go through them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so sometimes in a practice, when you have that superstar assistant, it's amazing to have that superstar assistant, but if you're not careful, they rob the other assistants from some of their, their own worth. And one person can't do the work of three people. I don't care how good they are, you know? And so, so anyway, it's, it's a really important thing. And one thing I commend you on at 33 to be that emotionally secure with that is freaking amazing. Cause it, I don't think I was about well, leaders. Leaders don't create followers. Leaders don't yeah. create followers, they create leaders, you know, yeah. and that's what it comes uh, to right. It's just kind of building this leadership amongst each other and, and knowing that each person has a position and they can keep getting better and leaders, better. Leaders, I've never heard that, but that's exactly right. Uh, I don't feel any of this stuff, I just hear it from other people. <laughs> that's life. I don't credit that, but I think so another true. thing that's important, like you said, is it creates clarity when you have a solid vision. So I had a five-year vision, and once I realized my vision, I... I knew who I had to associate with and who I had to let go. And I knew, you know, what was going to happen long-term. I, I got to my vision within five, a year and a half and it was overwhelming. Cause now I'm like, well, shoot, now I have to reinvent this thing and, I, and not reinvent it, but tweak it. And I'm always tweaking things. I always am. But my current vision of life changed because of COVID. And this is kind of a, a nice lesson here is the fact that um, I'm really simplifying what is important to me. And that is, I think we all are. Yeah. 
here's a story. I was, I was at the pool with my daughter and we were at the baby pool and I was looking across the pool and I saw a group of three couples, late twenties, early thirties, no kids. And I was kind of envious at that time because I remember that time in my life. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I don't have to wake up in the morning and take care of a baby, you know? And, 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 and so I'm looking at them the entire time and just kind of watching them celebrate this person's birthday. All the while there's a man with probably teenagers watching myself and my daughter interact. And he came up to me and said, you know, I miss those days. And I think that's an important lesson in life is the fact that you just need to be present in the moment that you're in. You know, we're always looking either at the past or we're looking at the future and what we're going to become. But we, for some reason, can't find contentment in the present. And I think that's an important thing that I think everyone can take away is the fact that just while it's always important to drive forward and think about what's next, enjoy and embrace these times. Because at some point in time, I'm going to look back and say those were the good old days. And I want to value those good old days and be present in the good old days. And I think that's important just to remember that. So that's my vision right now is just kind of taking everything in stride right now and just be present with what I'm doing and enjoy the ride. I love that. You know, I just got, uh, I just got my book back from the editor this morning, which I'm really excited about. So we're in the final process of publishing it. Um, and one of the chapters in the book, and it's the books about my son and what we've learned from him along the way. But one of the chapters is comparison is the enemy of contentment. Sure. And, and it's what you're saying. I mean, it's so easy to just sit around and look at what everybody else is doing. And one of his greatest gifts is he just doesn't do that. Like, I don't know how, but I, I, it's just not wired in him. And he's certainly aware that there's people that can do things he can't do and things he'll never be able to do but he's just so grateful for what he can do. And, and, cool. and, and you've got to be, you just got to live life with gratitude. And as soon as you start comparing, it's hard to be comparing and being grateful simultaneously. It, it really is. It's kind of like, I think it's a little bit like it's, it's hard to be entitled and feel entitled and be grateful simultaneously. It's almost like sure. they're diametrically opposed ideas. So good for you to sort of know that. Switching gears a little bit, um, let's talk a little bit about marketing. I um, mean, you've got a practice, you're producing very well, you're doing some good numbers. Uh, I know from Kurt told me, but are you doing anything kind of internally or externally that has helped? I mean, what are some of the things that I mean, you were blessed with taking over a practice, but obviously you're changing its direction somewhat. So what have you done? Yeah, I think that's an important topic. External marketing is tough nowadays because I I would imagine, John, when you started your practice, you could do the yellow pages or you can sponsor as a sports team or or something like that, that you can really get your name out that way. Now it's all online driven, you know, and it's expensive to be number one on Google. You know, that takes a lot of money. And that's why I think a lot of people want to start up offices right now you know how expensive it is to start up an office and you have to put in tens of thousands of dollars in marketing to put your name out there. You're going to get it eventually. But, um, I've, I've gone through different marketing companies and all that. And it's, we finally found one through SmartBox that has helped, but I I pay for it. And I know my numbers, I know the value of a new patient. I know how much it is each week to, to accomplish and acquire new patients, but I'm not looking to have 50, 100 new patients and look at 20, 25 is good with me because we spend an hour each time when they first come in and we really get to know the patient. And if you have a ton of different new patients coming to the door, you're never going to become successful. The same thing with social media. Um, I don't really like social media. You know, it's, it's a job. It's not something I enjoy. And I, I find that it's, I like connecting with people through social media, but it's not something I'm going to market my practice through. And before we were paying like $300 for some person to put up a graphic of a tooth. So I said, you know what, let's just take that $300. 
and let's make that a budget for internal marketing. If someone retires, we're going to buy them a flower, a set of flowers and, and a card. If someone has a death in the family, we're going to buy them a wind chime with the person's name over there. Mm. Someone graduates from college or high school, we're going to buy them a sweater for the college they're going into. Um, all those different things. That goes a long way because it tells people we care. So when I came to my team during our meeting and I said, hey, this is an idea that I want, they jumped right on. I have not made one single arrangement for people to have those type of gifts. My team is inspired by that. So every time we have a meeting, we say, okay, who are we spending something on right now? I have an open checkbook. Whatever you need to do to make this work so people can feel valued and appreciated in our office, let's do it. I have people move out of state, but they come back and see us because they know that nobody cares about them more than we do. And it's because we bought them a set of flowers or whatever you want to say. You know, we did something that goes way beyond the normal. And that's internal marketing right there. Um, another internal marketing thing is I have a, a dental intern that comes through my program. They graduate college, they stay with me for a year before dental school, and they learn everything about dentistry they can offer. And I love it because it fuels my passion to teach and influence people. On top of that, they get to learn so much about dentistry before going into dental school. So they kind of know a lot more than most people do throughout their dental school experience. But on top of that, like my current one, he's the best source of marketing I can have because he's us that's awesome. Or wow, what you're doing? Like, oh my gosh, he's saying all this stuff in front of the patient and the patient's hearing this stuff. It's like reinforces that I'm doing a good job, you know, and I think it gives me confidence. It gives the patient confidence and it inspires them. So I love that source of internal marketing. And I think that's more important because it really builds a practice from there. Love it. I love that. <laughs> you know what, what I heard is exactly what we, that we know to be true is your patients know you heard them listened to them you paid attention to them you were in that moment like you talked about being in the moment so everything you did to, for them was very uniquely theirs i love that so let's take it to kind of a how-to i think you know many dentists know the value of team meetings and how to bring that vision to life with their team but i think still it can be an enigma in practices today so how Short, like how to deliver a team meeting. What do you do with your team that helps keep them engaged, empowered, educated? So when I first started ACT, they told me I'd have two hour meetings once a week. And I mean, if you know the value of an hour in a practice, you know, I can hear my dad screaming at me saying, do you know how much money you're losing by doing a two hour meeting, you know, with lost production and, and paying staff? But I would say that was the most important thing for our entire changeover of things because we were able to sit down, slow down the practice, focus on our practice, focus on our team. And through those discussions, I realized I was not a good leader initially. You know, when I first came to my practice, I, I, I said, wow, I'm at all these other offices and these are, these are 20 things I want to put into our practice that we need to change. When we make 20 things a priority, nothing is a priority. And on top of that, people that have been with me for 30 years are now saying this this kid who's been out for a year is telling me I'm doing 30 things wrong. You know, screw you, dude. You know, you're a horrible leader in that regard. I'm embarrassed by that, but those are those moments you learn from. So then during these team meetings now, I'm learning what are our priorities? What are we going to do together as a group in order to influence how we're going to do this? I'm not coming at them and saying, we're going to work on our block schedule. This is how I want it to be. No, we're going to formulate a block schedule together. Hygienist, what is your perfect day? assistants what are your perfect day front desk what do you like about your perfect day and then for through that meeting we discover what our perfect day would be and that's how you make a block schedule you know but then you also realize the people that are engaged in this idea and also the people that are not on board and all of a sudden i started getting a lot of resistance from the people that were on board that were not into the idea of the other people that were dragging their feet and not wanting to do this so eventually 
they left, you know, and that was cool. It was a addition by subtraction type of thing. Currently, I still have meetings once a week. It's an hour because we don't really need to overhaul a lot of things. And I do two times a month with my team. And I do once with my associate to kind of treat and plan cases and kind of get on the same page. And then once with my leadership team, with my associate, my, my office manager. And through that, we have goals. We have quarterly ideas of what we want to do. We have a yearly goal. And we kind of set everything up and so that the weekly meetings accomplish the quarterly goals. And then the quarterly goals accomplish the yearly goals. And then the yearly goals accomplish a three to five year vision. So it's all kind of fluid from that regard. I love team meetings. I, I, I couldn't do what I would do without them. And it's worth mm. every value of every penny that I pay my team for that time. And I also take away the time and the production. Yeah. You're so much more productive when you sharpen the saw. Yeah. No doubt about yeah, that. It's so, it's so interesting I, I, when you say I love team meetings. And I know David loves meetings because you're kind of a meeting guy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sort of not. and but I, but I force myself to do it. And, and I remember, I can remember... Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I remember working with uh, Larry Gazzardo maybe 10, 12 years ago, and and he was asking me about meetings. And I, when I was with Pete early on, and he was mentoring, he made us shut Friday down, and we would do a four-hour meeting Friday, okay. and then take the afternoon off. And and he was able to show with everybody in our focus group that if you if you shut the practice down on Friday and plan the next week for four hours, you would outproduce the old week by 20%. And, and that happened with all of us. So, I mean, there's no question it works. But I, I think like you, maybe initially, I didn't have much of a framework. Like Pete really didn't teach the framework for meetings, so I don't know how effective I was. So it was always a struggle. It's so, so, uh, so again, when I was meeting with Larry, before he, I learned sort of a framework and he taught me, I, I just remember, I said, Larry, I said, I just don't like meetings. They don't seem very productive. Yeah, yeah. And I was giving him all the reasons. He looked at me and he goes, John, they're not for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, gosh. Yeah. For, you know, so then I started to kind of reframe. And, 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 and I've, I will say that if I had a choice between having a meeting and prepping some teeth, I definitely would want to prep teeth. But, but it's important for the business and it's important for the team members. They need that. They need to, to constantly know where they are. And so good for you to to do that. And again, I think it's another thing that's good with meetings is that I could bring back stuff to teach that I've learned in courses. So I would come to the Dotson Academy and I learned certain things and I would literally teach my notes to the team. Yeah. And one yeah. reinforces my ability to grasp that knowledge and then simplify it to a team that they all can understand it. When you can take a, a complex material and simplify it down, now they're going to implement it onto our patients and they're going to have much more success in terms of making sure that what I'm spending time and money to do is actually happening in the practice because a lot of practices learn this stuff, but don't implement it. So that's awesome. All right. Well, one, we've got one more question for you. And, uh, and again, you're obviously tremendously motivated. You're, you you can, I can just feel it. And again, I, I appreciate it because it's given me a big, jack this morning on a saturday <laughs> um but like where does the juice come from like with with you where where is that where is it coming from like if you could go deep into your heart what what's driving you right now to do all I, these things i've been dreading this question for two three weeks when you asked me to come on here because <laughs> i think there's some complexity to that right and i want to give a profound answer to this but i think juice in general is not some one ingredient type of component, right? It's, it's a multifaceted idea. So yeah, I, I am driven. I always want to be a better person today than I was yesterday and a better person tomorrow than I am today. 
Um, I want to have a remarkable professional and personal life. And so at the end of it all, I can look back and say, yeah, I lived that and I did that and I've influenced people. I think one thing about myself that um, is different is the fact that I do take action. I get inspired by something because I surround myself with people that have my best interests. So mentors or whoever it was, and I, I put it into play. And I think a lot of people, especially dentists, because we're all type A kind of nutcases, we're so critical of ourselves and we're so fearful of failure that a lot of people sit on the sidelines, you know, whereas I love the 80% rule, the 80% meaning that if you jump in and do something 80% well, first, it's a lot better than zero. But I know a lot of people out there are saying, well, that's a B minus, Kevin. Well, on top of that, then the next time you do it, now you're 80% off of that 80%. So yeah, then that becomes exactly 86%. Right. And then on top of that 86%, the next time you do it, you're 92, 93, or whatever the math may be, you're never going to get to 100%. But at some point in time, the more you do, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you fail. And then from those failures, you keep getting better and better. And I love the book Principles by Ray Dalio. And he talks about how skiing, a novice skier, someone learning how to ski, it's very difficult for them. But an Olympic skier still finds the sport difficult. They're far better and they're still doing certain things, but they're still falling in a different way and they're still failing, but you're still working hard towards something. But if you're on the sidelines and not taking action, you're never going to be in the game. And I think that's important to recognize. And I, I think that's probably my juice is the fact that I am I'm very open just to jump in. And it might be some people might think I'm impulsive because that's what people, my wife and my office manager both tell me I'm impulsive, but at the same point in time, at least I'm taking action and not sitting around waiting for something to be perfect before I jump in. And I think that might be the juice. I don't know. I don't know. I'm passionate about everything I do, you know, and if I don't find passion with that, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I think that's a personality type of mine is that I don't like the mundane. And when I'm not inspired, I kind of shut down and I think that might be something of my detriment but at the same point if I if I am engaged in something I do and I jump in and do it yeah so. it's interesting one of the it's a great answer one of the other little things and I don't think you ever saw seminar one live I think you saw it online and mm -hmm. one of the things I finish when we do a concept I finish with in the live um, meetings is the concept of the three P's, which is purpose, passion, and persistence. And, you know, having a clear purpose, and you've certainly defined that juice that gives you that purpose. And one of the things that where you know whether your purpose is what you want is you feel the passion. And if you don't feel the passion, then you need to do something else. Okay. Because if you, if you put purpose and passion together, you get the most important thing, which is persistence, which means you'll keep chipping away at it. And, and I love the concept of starting at 80%. And that's why we call it practice, right? I mean, no one shows up 100% into this and, and, and no one ever gets there, as you point out. But um, I get asked almost every day now that my daughter's in there, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, dude, I'm just getting good at this. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm just starting to figure dentistry out. You know, I'm not, I'm not hanging it up now, you know? And so, Anyway, I, I just, this was a really uh, a fun interview, uh, Kevin. And, really and now that I know that even without a W in your name, we pronounce it growth, I will never make that mistake again. So. Oh, good. You know, it's just, I'd prefer to be growth, to be honest, but that's simple. <laughs> am, I, am I pronouncing the wine wrong, too? It is growth. 
So okay. <laughs> see, that's what I said. <laughs> so, um, when we went there to visit, they said, well, it's a good thing you don't pronounce it growth. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> good thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. We're going to, uh, we're going to yeah. sign off in a second, but do you have any shout outs to anybody as, as you close up here? I mean, shout out to the Academy. I think this is such a great group of people that I've really embodied and, and, and taken on as, as so many great mentors. Lenny obviously is someone that I really look to, but like Zach Sisler, I talk to that guy probably three to four times a week and I've never met Zach in person, which is kind of crazy. Cool. Um, I reached out on social media in January and, and just like a leech I've latched on to him. So he's, he's walked me through cases when his newest newborn was born at the hospital. And I was like, God, I, you're literally at the hospital right now. Like, can we do this a different time? <laughs> so, I mean, just such a great group of people in the Academy. And I'm, when you surround yourself with people that are really genuine people that have same core values and are incredible restorative dentists or whatever they may be doing in their profession, I think that is really magical. And I think, thank you, John. Thank you, David. I mean, both of you have been such an inspiration to me through this podcast. And um, I, I love what you're doing, David, with Ignite DDS. I think that's such an incredible thing that I wasn't really tuned to until now, but I would, if you need any help with anything, I'm always available and you know, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you need for me. And John, I've just enjoyed the conversation a couple of weeks ago. You know, that drive home was really quite a cool moment to learn and pick your story and, and learn from that too. So that's all I have to say. Cool. Well, we're going to let you go. And then David and I are going to trash talk you a little. No, we're going to talk <laughs> about you a little bit. Let me out, man. But uh, <laughs> thanks again for your time and go enjoy yeah, that little baby and keep it's doing what you're doing. Thanks, guys. It was a, yeah, it was a blast. So have a good one. Thanks. Right. Good stuff. Now, what do you, what's your thoughts? I'll tell Take you. Takeaways. I have a, a lot deep, of thoughts. Pretty deep, deep young man. I mean, deep, very deep young man. So I, I with all the thoughts I have, I kind of want to get deep just in one, in one space. I'm not sure John or anyone who's listening, you ever been to Pike's place out in Seattle? Mm -hmm. So I, all I kept thinking were, um, two parts to their four tenants. So for those of you who've never been and don't know, they over time have four tenets. So choose your attitude, play, make somebody's day. And then as Kevin said, be present. And I love those four tenets. And I heard them screaming from Kevin's voice throughout our time together. And I love also how those tenets came to be because they were never designed by the business itself. It was a company who came in and they witnessed this team of people who lived them based on a vision and a culture. And it was, it, they were just so obvious to outsiders that those four tenets came about. And I think strong vision, strong team, consistency and working on it and having that passion, that fire, that juice is, is everything. And that's all I kept running through my brain in the last you know, 15 minutes or so. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I mean to me, what I kept thinking about is um, just a lot of courage. You know, I, I think a lot of people, look at this and say, well, you know, he came into his dad's practice. And, and again, maybe it's because I'm sitting here right now and my daughter's coming in my practice and I have some empathy and for what she's kind of going through, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's tough. I mean, it, it, you know, it's what he's done is in, in the shadow of his own dad within a seven year period is he's re redefined that practice and made it his own. And, assembled a new team and a, a new set of vision, a new vision, probably very similar core values, I'm sure, but a different style of practice. And I think sometimes as dentists, 
you know, we're living inside that micron so often that we, we don't step away and look at the big picture. And there's so many obstacles that can be in our way. And it's just so easy to just get in, get in there at eight o'clock in the morning and just do dentistry all day and just repeat it, you know, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then it never goes anywhere. So to accomplish what he's accomplished in a relatively short period of time, it's yeah. all the things that you said, but you also have to be incredibly kind of brave because those, you know, deep in the dark recesses of all of that were probably some hard decisions and tough conversations with people he cared about. Yeah. And sometimes that has to happen to, to fulfill the mission, I guess. Yeah, no, you, you, it's hard. You know, everybody thinks, like you said, hey, a young dentist walks into mom or dad's practice and everything life's going to be easy. That's a whole other set of problems and challenges. Yeah. I mean, I even taken over Dr. Nicholson's practice, who was, you know, he'd been there for 42 years. And I remember like the third day, somebody, you know, kind of about the third patient in a row said, boy, you got some big shoes to fill, you know, and you hear that over and over. And I think when it's a parent, it's even a whole nother thing. Um, altogether, because again, he probably there are probably employees in that practice that it changed his diaper. You know, I mean, it's 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 conceivable. Uh, but anyway, this was great. Uh, I certainly appreciate your time again, David, jumping on with me. I know we'll have PO on next time. Um, but any final thoughts on this? Man, I tell you, I just I'm impressed with with Kevin as a young man. And I'm excited where we're going. So looking forward to next time uh, we reunite. Absolutely. Thanks again for everybody tuning in. And uh, until next time, uh, stay safe and, and keep it going. Mm -hmm.